0: Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a great length for transition times during the day or a bedtime treat. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, your host, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you will come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Hello, friends. I am just thrilled to bring you a very exciting and very timely guest today, Emily Tish sussman Hello, Emily. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Well, I am delighted, truly, that you are here because I am very passionate about voting. It's really one of my favorite, uh, I was going to say recreational activities, but it's not even recreational. (laughs) And I will just share quickly with listeners that you are a political strategist, a podcaster a family policy advocate, a mom of three. You are most definitely in the weeds with children six and under. And so first, hello and welcome. And second, thank you for the work that you do to distill what's going on in the world and also help people, women especially, find agency to make their voice heard. Your work is so important.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, that's the thing that I'm the most passionate about is, is bringing people into the process. Like, this is hard. Like having young kids, having medium kids, it's hard,
0: yes, it's all and it's all hard it's
1: <laughs> it's all hard, and I don't think we acknowledge how much of it is because the system isn't built for us. So you yes. know, bringing people in and hopefully making change so we can make it
0: yeah, well let's let's dive right in. I have several questions for you, and I want to start um it's you know, thinking historically that I feel like the two thousand and sixteen election changed things for a lot of people. present company included. In terms of people really, you know, getting themselves in the game and and being involved in get-out-the-vote efforts, postcard-writing, letter-writing, working the polls, I, I have really experimented with all of it. And I think fatigue is also a very real thing. I'm sure this is something you've talked about, but there's been an urgency with each election with things feeling rather dire <laughs> since then. Why do you feel that this upcoming election is red alert season.
1: Ooh. So I definitely feel like this election is red alert. Um, you know, there's sort of an overused phrase that every election that comes up every election and says, Oh, this is the most important election of Mm -hmm. our lifetime. I actually think we've already had the most important election of our lifetime and Mm -hmm. we lost it.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Say more about that. Mm Um, I think that we had a belief that we'd always be going in a direction that we had. We would have a society that was more inclusive, moving in a progressive, more it's a, um, direction, more equitable. Um, and we went and instead we went in a direction policy wise that didn't just go backwards, but farther than any of us, I think, who are alive today. Imagine that we would when it comes to policies. So, you know, it makes the wealth gap larger. Mm-hmm. It, it changed our imaginations of how we would be, um, how we would, like, what kind of policies we'd be looking for to be able to work and have a home life or be able to buy a home. You know, all of those things, we moved backwards in many directions. So I think with every election now, the reason it feels so urgent is because we're just trying to prevent the backslide even farther.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. In fact, I recently did an episode, an interview with the incredible Gabrielle Stanley Blair, and the episode's called Reframing the Abortion Narrative. And we both agreed that no matter how aware we have felt and and present in what is going on, we just almost couldn't believe that something like what happened with Roe versus Wade would happen, you know, and, and we felt sort of blindsided by it at the same time. But then in retrospect, saying, yes, of course, of course, this is what is happening. And and we have to keep working on preventing the, back, the backslide.
1: Well, I think for a lot of people who had supported Clinton in 2016, we got this narrative after Trump was elected, like, oh, you know, he's not as bad as you think, or it's not doomsday. And for some people, it energized us into the mm. twenty eighteen elections. And for some, it made us feel like, "Oh, well, I guess we'll give him a chance, and we'll really see." And I think that stuck with us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and for people who aren't living at the margins, things didn't necessarily change in a big way immediately under the Trump administration. For those who do live at the margins, it did. But I think for you know the majority of Americans who were sort of in the middle. It didn't immediately. And so if you weren't paying close attention and then you got burnt out, you might forget that rage and like forget how afraid we were. Mm-hmm. And I agree. Like when when the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade, look, we knew it was coming for years. We mm-hmm. saw the cases moving up through the court. We saw who he confirmed in the Supreme Court, um, who got confirmed in the Senate after he had nominated them. And it was still like a punch to the gut. We knew states were going to, pass abortion bans and they are and we're starting to see the actual consequences of women needing life-saving care because we all know that when we're talking about abortion it's not just abortion it's pregnancy care it's miscarriage care it's it's everything having to do with our health and when we don't have those options in front of us that's when it starts to get really scary and it's happening already. Yeah, it's it's terrifying.
0: Well, let's dig into this um, conversation about women, specifically in the lane of voting issues. I think back in August, it really seemed like abortion rights would dictate voting. For example, what we saw in Kansas right after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. And I'm curious about your thoughts about where things stand now in terms of voting based on issues as we come up to Election Day, specifically for women.
1: So I think what you you may be referring to is there's a lot of political art articles coming out now that there was a very big engagement of Democrats right after the Dobbs decision. And now it might be waning a little bit. Mm-hmm. And the projecting and the polls from political strategists are showing more 50 50 or even lean Republican in terms of a lot of competitive Senate governors and congressional races um, and the balance of power in in the House and in the Senate. Senate Republicans have already introduced a federal abortion ban. So even if you live in a state right now that is continuing to allow abortions and to have bodily autonomy, it may not for very long because they may actually Republicans, as soon as they get into power, will pass a federal abortion ban. There's not a question in my mind. They've said so. Um, so there's a lot that's at stake right now. I My feeling about the enthusiasm in the polls is that who you're... Who the the pollsters are polling right now is they're trying to predict who's going to actually show up to vote and whose votes will get through. Now, I say whose votes will get through because a lot of states have enacted barriers to voting. Mm -hmm. So taking away same day voting registration, having fewer places to be able to vote so that there's longer lines taking away the ability to vote early. Many states have been moving in those directions over the past couple of years. We refer to those as voter suppression efforts. Mm -hmm. So people need to be pretty motivated to be able to make it through, navigate through all of those barriers to be able to vote. So what pollsters are trying to pull right now is enthusiasm. How enthusiastic are people to feel committed enough to to actually show up to vote? If you guys watch political commentary, you see a lot of the conversation is talking about turning out the like GOTV, get out the vote, and turning out your base. Broken down what that means in terms of campaign strategy is that early in the campaign, like from you know, like June to September, let's say, campaigns are trying to assess who's really with them and who's in the middle, who's persuadable. Mm-hmm. And they will have spent that whole time talking to people who are persuadable. Once you hit Labor Day, you're not really trying to turn out, you're not really trying to persuade anyone anymore. You're trying to make sure that the people that are committed to vote for you are getting out to vote. That's what GOTV is. Get out the vote. So you're speaking to your most committed voters and making sure they actually show up. I mean, you know, we forget that unless people really work it into their schedule, they may not remember to vote on election day. They may not know all the options. Our lives are busy. There's a lot going on. Um, So that's what campaigns are focused on right now.
0: Okay, we have more to chat about with Emily Tish sussman We're going to do that after a quick break. Understood is a resource I have recommended for many years to parents looking for support with learning and thinking differences such as ADHD, dyslexia, and more. And I'm subsequently excited to tell you about their podcast, Understood Explains. This season the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. They cover topics such as how to tell if your child needs an IEP, common myths about special education, and the difference between IEPs and 504 plans. I love how Understood Explains breaks down the overwhelm by unpacking an important topic each season and and then drilling down further into key basics in each episode. Most episodes are between 10 to 15 minutes, and episodes are available in both English and Spanish. So fantastic, right? To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains wherever you get your podcasts.
2: No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why?
0: Emily, I am an old school paper newspaper subscriber. So I want... Oh, it's be, you. You're I, the one. I'm the person, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a, a, a devoted fan of the Boston Globe, my home newspaper. And there was a recent article that caught my eye because I saw it literally the day before I was prepping the questions for your article for this episode. And it was talking about women as election difference makers. And in specifically, specifically what caught my eye in this article... Was it shared an example of how women voters are currently polling higher in favor of keeping driver's licenses for undocumented residents? It was 64% yes, 32% no, whereas men were right down the middle, 47% either side, which meant if the numbers held that overall women would drive the result on election day. So the overall average would be 56% yes, 39% uh, no. And later in this article, a woman was quoted, I think it was like a 73-year-old prospective voter, was quoted as saying, women in general tend to be more fair-minded, more interested in the welfare of others, more generous-hearted. So I'm curious about your reaction to this statement. Do you think empathy-based voting is a thing? I just made up that term, so I don't know what you think about it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I like it. It certainly describes what you're asking. (laughs) Absolutely. I think we know that women tend to be more pragmatic when it comes to actually passing policies that work and that are going to get us to the solutions and standing instead of standing on ceremony. We've definitely seen that on a federal level in Congress when the women were the ones, the women senators were the ones that came together to actually get things passed. And I think it comes to women who are voting as well. But I think that the way that you phrase this question actually gets to the answer is that If everyone who was polled voted, the women would win out, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But we're probably not going to get there, right? Because in order to actually show up to have to vote, to have your vote counted, you have to both be committed enough to do it and find time in your schedule to do it, which is very difficult because women are very overscheduled because we're balancing a lot. But also that means that you have to feel that you have enough power, Mm. to make a difference. You have to feel that your vote matters. And we just don't live in a structured society at this point where women feel that enough. So I, I think that's where a lot of the like empowerment vote campaigns come from is reminding people that you do have the power. That also gets to, you know, we were talking about before, like the the differential in polling and why it's really difficult to poll at this point in a campaign, because you're you're trying to read into all of those factors in somebody's life. Like, do they have the flexibility in their schedule to be able to vote on or before election day? Do they have enough information to know that they're allowed to vote in person early without an excuse? Do they feel committed enough to be able to actually find out that information of how they're going to be able to vote? All of those are factors in, in trying to assess whether someone's going to end up voting or not.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I, I, um, have really been thinking a lot about the empowerment lane um, because I think it's just, I've seen so much fatigue from people and, and just finding like uh, I think they call it, there's something called compassion fatigue that I often see in the educational literature too, that I feel like kind of plays in here. Like it's hard to have feelings and to continue to feel like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm not doing enough or, or it all feels like a dumpster fire. So (laughs) I don't know if that if you're seeing a lot of conversations just socially, even with women about that
1: well, I think what we the way that that tends to end up playing out is just disengagement.,
0: mm, mm-hmm.
1: just focusing on other things, and I think one of the biggest things that we can do right now to overcome that fatigue is to normalize conversations in whatever our sphere of influence is, maybe it's social circles, maybe it's the p t a maybe it's the workplace, but normalize conversations about voting. I was on Fox News for 10 years arguing with people. And so a lot of times, very hardcore Republicans will seek me out to argue with me. And I'm like, I don't do that in my everyday life. I'm not that interested. It's not that fun for me. And right. so we get nervous to engage in conversations, but normalizing conversations about, oh, I'm thinking through how I'm going to vote that day. Oh, did you check if you were registered? Oh, did you check to see if they changed our polling location? like normalizing those conversations will have a huge impact.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Well, you know, we've touched a little, we touched a little bit on this earlier when you were talking about sort of timing strategy with voting, um, getting people fired up to vote and sort of the, the appealing to your constituent base to actually get them out there. And I want to tie that to empathy, which I was just asking about. And the thing... I have personally always struggled with the most and cue my patriarchal rage is the block of women characterized broadly as white women without college degrees and evangelical women who support a candidate like Donald Trump. And I'm curious if you have thoughts about potentially moving that needle or do we just, you know, stay laser focused on Democratic and independent voters and also new voters? I will say that new voters are my very favorite. Block this. By the time this episode airs, my 18 year old daughter and I will have Facetimed about the ballot since we're both voting by mail. So that I find very exciting. <laughs> so oh, I love that. Isn't that great? Yeah, <laughs> That's she's all so
1: good. Yeah, she's all
0: fired up about it. We're like going to go over the questions together and everything. But what do what are your thoughts about that? Like, how do we? What can we do, and how do we handle our own sort of rage and feelings as we're trying to have these conversations and normalize them?
1: Ugh, I mean, I share that rage. I find it so frustrating and I felt incredibly betrayed when we saw the results of, after the 2016 election that a majority of white women had voted for Trump. I felt betrayed by them and I felt betrayed by everything I had known up to that point as a political strategist to think, how could people set aside everything they knew about him to vote for him? I think ultimately in the end, it does go to the patriarchy. It does go to which is internalized in all of us, mm-hmm. not just in men. but in that people were attracted to somebody who had this kind of win-at-all-cost it, win it mentality and that they didn't feel left behind. They felt like he was speaking to them. How they were able to rationalize that and how they continue to rationalize that when they see that it's really all about him, not about them, it does continue to be something of a mystery to me. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, it's very hard for me to dig deep into it because it's. I tend to focus as a strategist on where are you going to find votes you know like the new voters like you're talking about you know if someone has newly registered then they're likely to vote because it's top of mind it just happened and at the end of the day they were really more afraid of losing what societal privilege they felt they had yeah. than than anything else and they and it spoke to them in that way
0: mhm yeah okay well <laughs> i think it's i think it's going to be to me it seems like staying focused on just trying to get the end game, get to the the finish line with and talking about it with talking about voting and prioritizing voting with the people in your circle, as you said, your sphere of influence is going to be really crucial. I, I have one side question, actually, which is that and I don't know if there's even data about this, but I'm curious if you've seen employers step up in terms of making the space for their employees to. um You know, have covered time to go vote. Is that a trend that you have seen at all? I I haven't followed it at all. It just occurred to me that that would be a really easy way to start making some of that happen for people.
1: Uh, That was a very smart question and a very smart inclination on your part because that is a huge part of it of employers providing information of how and when to vote and then providing time off to be able to do it. Rent the Runway actually did a great job with that. They they actually close on election day so their employees employers tend to provide two hours paid time off if they offer anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And Rent the Runway actually said they were going to close the whole day. I don't know if they're still doing it. They did it before. Rent the Runway did it. The SKIM did it. um, And they were real pioneers in the field and in trying to encourage other companies to do it as well. But yes, that is a trend to be able to make this, I mean, you know, when do you have childcare? When you're at work, Mm -hmm. right? Like that's Mm -hmm. when you can actually go do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if you don't, like provide the transportation or whatever it may be for the for the employees to get there by giving paid time off. It's a big it's a big signal that it's yeah. important to you and that it's also important to the externalities around your job like society.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe that is that is not going to be my rally call to action from this episode is for people to ask their employers about it. Yeah. Because if you don't put a note in the subject, suggestion box, then nothing's going to happen. <laughs>
1: Yes, absolutely. And and I think it's just something they're not thinking about. Of course. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But okay. if suggested, I would hope that a lot of employers would take it
0: up. Yeah, it feels great. And this makes me actually ever more excited that I recently just started using Rent the Runway because now knowing that they're, they, they did that effort for, for their employees, that makes me feel really good about my subscription membership. <laughs> okay, Emily, we have a couple more questions to address. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to do that <laughs> after a quick break. Hello, friends. We are back with Emily Tish Sussman, hopefully getting you fired up to make the space to go do your civic duty next week. (laughs) And Emily, we are down to the wire. This episode is going to release the week before official election day. Some people like me may have already voted and um, others are going to be heading to the polls in person. So in your opinion, what are the most effective ways that women and moms can make an impact on the election right now?
1: Vote. Offer to, and then offer to watch somebody else's kids so they can vote. Mm. We also tend to, you know, we're kind of social beings, like we're social animals. So we like to do things in groups and it reinforces us that we'll actually do it. So, you know, get on the text chains that you're already on and ask if you want to vote together. Oh, I like that. Yeah. (laughs) Like, see if you could, a lot of places have early in-person voting, I do in New York, I always vote in person early. I just really like to vote in person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And if I do it before election day, I know I've gotten it done. There's no lines. There's, not, there's nothing that I have to, you know, balance in terms of timing. There's no variables. Um, and, you know, like, take two friends. Take two friends to go vote with you. Get on like the already on and ask them.
0: Yeah, it's like self-care. I also think that, you know, it's interesting. I felt like this with vaccinations too, that part of the like herd mentality power can be just like, snapping a picture and sharing that you went and did it like i felt like everybody was posting their their vaccine doses at the at the beginning and then when i got my latest booster i was like i'm going to post a photo this is very exciting i love science (laughs) let's keep it up but i i definitely felt like it was different i mean i know the uptake has been different but it just um it feels like it's been different so i i would encourage people to also um you know just share that you're doing it whenever it is that you're doing it whether it's early or on the actual day yeah
1: I mean, it's the social media aspect of it is like the the digital version of the I voted sticker, right? Yes. Like you're letting people know that you did it and also then unlocking, a, like unlocking permission structure for them to do it as well.
0: Yeah. Well, Emily, so at the end of my every episode, I ask guests to share what is called your next edit. We may have covered it in the last question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Basically, your next edit is a really actionable tip that listeners can consider doing right away after they finish listening to the episode. So I'm curious in the context of our conversation, if you have a your next edit to share for this episode, I guess different from the sort of take a friend to vote or if it's the same, that's also cool. This is your your show.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you are so good. You did get to what was going to be my next edit. Um, is make a plan to vote, like figure out how you're going to do it. And you can check out how you can vote where you live at vote.org. They'll walk mm-hmm. you through if you're registered. If there's early voting, vote.org will help with all of that. But also post your plan to vote and why you are choosing to do it that way. If you want to take the next step and actually make a plan with your friends to go together. But I think putting out there now, if people have a plan to vote, it, it's like the only way they're really going to do it. So, you know, the other day I put out and explained that vote by mail was still available in my state. It's actually no longer we finished vote by mail, but that I like to vote early because I like to miss the lines and I don't I don't want to have any unpredictability about delays. So I like to vote early in person and that my voting location, I check it every time, but that it's not around the block like it would be on Election Day because they don't staff all of those locations for all of early vote. It's one early vote site. So I look it up and I go and I vote early. I put all of that out on my social media the other day, explaining everyone my thinking and how I'm planning to vote. So I would do that immediately. Put it, think through what your plan is and tell people. It will force others to think themselves. And those low-hanging fruit of people that are in your circle but that may not be able to actually logistically get there to vote are actually going to be the votes that are going to make the difference.
0: I think that's fantastic. And I am duly influenced by you, Emily, because I I think I'm I've done early in person as well in the past. And I think when you just um, I'm going to go to my city website and collect all the information about the hours and the dates and put it all in one social post so that there's no excuse like people don't have to look it up. They can just refer to the information and it's right there. So thank you for inspiring me to do that. Oh, well, I'm so excited. Yeah. (laughs) Emily, this was a fantastic conversation. I feel I actually will tell you that I am somebody who has been super active in election advocacy and have been experiencing some serious fatigue around it all. So I feel re-energized by this conversation. And so thank you really, truly from the bottom of my heart for, for that gift.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for everything you're doing and continue to do. And for having conversations about this on platforms that aren't necessarily just political. Like, that's really the way that we're going to get into people's enthusiasm is to see that, like, every aspect of our life is impacted by policy and good policies are only made if we engage.
0: Ooh, I'm going to put that on a quote card, Emily. Thank you so much. And um, I just I can't wait to share this conversation with people. Take care. Thank you. Okay, friends, you'll find the show notes for this episode, including links to resources and related episodes at edityourlifeshow.com. As ever, I would love to hear your thoughts and questions. Come say hello on Instagram or Facebook at edityourlifeshow, or send an email to edityourlifeshow at gmail.com. I would also be grateful if you would drop Edit Your Life, a review on Apple Podcasts, or tell a pod-loving friend about the show. Thanks for listening.